Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Well, if you brought your Bible, I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And we want to take a look at verse 14 and then 18 and 19. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. But before we do read from God's Word, let's pray and invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you this morning and bless you and thank you for this privilege and opportunity to come together and study your Word. We thank you also for the Holy Ghost who is our comforter, our teacher, and our guide. We expect Him to move upon our hearts and minds and quicken us according unto the Word. I thank you, Father, for utterance in the Holy Ghost. And for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer, that I may boldly proclaim with accuracy the knowledge of the truth that will make us free. May every heart be receptive and every ear attentive, dear Father God, as we receive from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, are you ready to receive from God? How many of you have you come, have you come with the attitude that I'm going to receive something from God this morning? Amen. amen. You believe God for that? Then you'll get what you believe God for. Amen. If you don't believe God for anything, that's exactly what you'll get. Nothing. But if you believe God for something, you'll get something from God. Amen? For all things are possible to him that believeth. And if you believe, you shall receive the word of God says. If you don't believe it, I don't think you'll get it. But praise God that we can receive from God as we believe from our hearts. And confess with our mouths what the word of God says. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and we're going to look first at verse 14. And what I want to talk to us about this morning, being that it is Healing Sunday... Is some important facts about the healing ministry itself. Some important facts about the healing ministry. In Luke 4 and 14, we read, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit in the Galilee, and there went out a fame of Him through all the region round about. Now, the first fact I want to present to you about the healing ministry is that the healing ministry is the gospel in action. The healing ministry is emphatically the gospel in action. You'll see here that Jesus, after his baptism, of course, in water, and then also his baptism in the Spirit, and then temptation in the wilderness, came back into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. What was the purpose of him being anointed with the power of the Spirit? Well, he was about to promote the gospel. He was about to preach and teach and proclaim the good news to the people that God sent him to. Up until this point, he didn't do any preaching or teaching. He was just learning and growing and developing. But now he got to the place where he was about to be used in public ministry. And so being baptized with the Holy Ghost, he went forth in the power of the Spirit. And as it says in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This was the message that Jesus took to the people wherever he went to preach. When he went into these cities and villages, I really believe that this was the first message that Jesus delivered to the people. Everywhere he went, he had to tell them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But I want you to notice this. The healing ministry of Jesus is indeed the gospel in action. 
Everywhere he went, he proclaimed the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, enabling him or anointing him to preach, teach, and heal, and deliver those that were bound and afflicted, and set them free by the mighty power of God. Not because he was somebody special, but because the anointing of God was upon him. Jesus ministered not as the Son of God. He ministered as one who was anointed of God under the Old Covenant. And as he ministered, he ministered by the Spirit's anointing that was upon him without measure. And notice, he began to teach, to preach, to heal the sick and set the captives free. And as he did, of course, many came to him and began to follow him. Well, I believe with all my heart that this ministry of Jesus, that is the teaching ministry, proclaimed the total gospel for the total deliverance for the total man. In other words, he declared that a man could be free in spirit, in soul, and in body. It was the total deliverance for the total man in spirit, soul, and body. And his healing ministry was indeed the gospel in action. Now, I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to Matthew's gospel in chapter 10. And I want to show you that through close observation, you can also conclude that when Jesus sent out his disciples or followers, they too were to proclaim that the healing ministry was the gospel in action. As a matter of fact... Everywhere they went, they continued the works of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 7, He called His twelve unto Himself, and He told them to go and preach the gospel to the people. Now look here in verse 7. Matthew 10, verse 7. And as you go, preach. Preach saying. Preach saying what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he wanted them to preach, to preach about the gospel, to preach about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. It's at hand. Now, notice this. Look at the next verse. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. What do we observe here? Once again, the healing ministry was the gospel in action. People being delivered and set free by the power of God was the gospel in action. And so he called those twelve, equipped them, and told them to go out there, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, freely you've received, freely give, and let them know the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to notice in Luke's gospel, that's the twelve, but notice here in Luke's gospel in chapter 10 also, that the need was growing to have more labors in the field of ministry. The crowds were getting bigger. The multitudes were thronging Jesus. He needed more help. And so he called 70 others. In Luke 10, look at verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Notice, they went ahead of him to talk about the fact that Jesus was coming to them. Now, I want you to move on down, if you would, please, to verse 9. Well, I'll tell you what, let's back up and read verse 2 first. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but notice the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. 
And so he sent them out into the field of ministry, into the earth, to preach and proclaim the gospel or the glad tidings of great joy. Look at verse 9. And he tells them, And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them what? The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Once again, you can see through observation that the healing ministry or the ministry of healing is indeed the gospel in action. As people are delivered and set free by the power of God, they are to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come unto you. And you can see it by the mighty works and deeds that are being wrought by the powerful name of Jesus. And so as they went about doing what Jesus said, people were then coming by the multitudes. Can you imagine what kind of a welcome Jesus got when he went into those cities after these mighty deeds were done? Think about it. They could hardly wait for him to make his appearance on the scene. And when he went there, their hearts were electrified with faith. Can you see that? They were excited and full of joy because someone is coming that knows something about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what kind of an audience Jesus had to minister to? Think about that. Faith must have been just electrified in their hearts and minds. Well, let's not stop there. Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. I want to show you something about us. We are the church. Are we not? We are the church. So observation shows us once again that the healing ministry of Jesus was the gospel in action. It was proven by the life of the twelve apostles as they went forth. They preached and they taught the healing of the sick, the cleansing of the lepers, the raising of the dead, etc. It was the gospel in action as he anointed the seventy to go out because the laborers were few, but the, the harvest, you know, was plenteous. They sent them out into the field and they went and they healed the sick that were in the city and proclaimed the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. You can see it goes hand in hand. And as a result, they were delivered and set free. And all of a sudden, now he gives a great commission to the church. Are we the church of the living God? Amen. Here's the great commission. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. Notice it says all the world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's the same gospel that Jesus preached. It's the same gospel that the twelve preached. It's the same gospel that the seventy preached. Preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow only the twelve. And these signs shall follow only the seventy. And these signs shall follow all them that believe. You believe on Jesus? These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Notice, shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Once again, we see that the ministry of healing and deliverance and setting the captives free is indeed the gospel in action. Look at verses 19 and 20. If you ever want a confirmation about that, there are the verses right there to confirm that the healing ministry included, as far as the church is concerned, our ministry to the world and is indeed the gospel in action. So that after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. How significant is this? I believe it's very significant. 
You recall when Jesus was received out of their sight, they gazed up into heaven and they saw Jesus as He took off and went up to heaven and was seated at the Father's right hand and the angels were there and said, Why gaze ye up into heaven? The same Jesus who's being taken from you is going to come back down and set His feet upon this ground once again, you know, and we're to look for His return and we thank God for that. But I want you to notice the commission He gave to them was to preach the gospel, heal the sick and set the captives free, was it not? You see it right throughout the entire gospels here. And to all those that were ever sent out in the ministry anywhere, they were all told to do the same thing, were they not? Then why should we think that those things have stopped today? They haven't stopped today. Maybe in people's minds they have, but they have not as far as God is concerned. Not as far as Jesus is concerned. Not as far as the Holy Ghost is concerned. And not as far as we should be concerned. Look at the next verse. He was taken off into heaven, sat down and said, This is my final word to you. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to go rest now, and I want you to be empowered to do the things that I started. To continue those things upon this earth as I am seated at the Father's right hand. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. They preached and they taught that Jesus is alive and well. He is the Savior of the soul. He is the healer of the body. He's the deliverer of the mind. He's the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's the great I Am manifest in the flesh. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end and the first and the last. He's everything in between. He's the bright and morning star. He's our soon coming King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord of glory is coming back to earth. Amen. Amen. And that was the gospel, beloved. And it hasn't changed today. No, the healing ministry is the gospel in action, praise God. And those that don't believe in it really are doing damage to the kingdom of God. I want to show you something here. Look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 11 and verse 23. Matthew chapter 11. Let's uh, back up to verse 20. Let's start there and put the whole thing in context. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Did you hear that? Let that just saturate in your heart and mind. Then began he to upbraid or find fault with the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, It would have remained until this day. What a statement. See, someone says that the will of God is always done on earth. No, it's not. Right there, Jesus said Sodom would still be around. If the mighty works that were done there, Capernaum, were done in Sodom. They would have repented. Look at the next verse. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Why? Because they saw the mighty works of God. They saw the miraculous healings. They saw the power of God in in mighty demonstration. And yet they repented not. They still turned their back on God and the things of God. 
I really believe that these verses of Scripture reveal to us the potential of the healing, signs, and wonders ministry. I believe with all my heart that through mighty signs and wonders and deeds and healings and miracles by the Holy Ghost, that the multitudes come into the kingdom of God. Sodom itself would have repented had they seen the mighty works and deeds. And those that don't repent after seeing the mighty works and deeds, look how, how it's going to be for them. Well, beloved, if Jesus believed that those mighty works and deeds were necessary then, how much more should we believe they're necessary for us now? Amen. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. You see, there is a potential as far as the healing ministry is concerned to reach the masses and the multitudes. And I believe that evangelization by signs and wonders should be the norm and not the exception. It should be the rule rather than the exception. But yet, you see, because of the society in which we live today and the teachings that we have heard today, many have turned their back on signs and wonders and, and manifestations of the Holy Ghost and as a result are trying to do a work in a divided house. God does not want us to separate the work of saving the soul and healing the body. It goes hand in hand. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 29... After Peter and John were taken into question because of the healing miracle that took place in the man who was lame, who had never walked from his mother's womb, they were arrested and they were threatened never to teach in that name any longer. They went back to their own company and reported all the chief priests had said to them and all the, the threats that came their way. And they said, Now, Lord, in verse 29, Behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may preach thy word by stretching forth thine handy heel, and that signs and wonders may be wrought by the name of the holy child Jesus. Isn't that what it says? And after they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they spake the word, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. But notice in that verse... 29 there, where it talks about stretch forth thine handy heel, that signs and wonders may be wrought by the name of the holy child Jesus. That should be the cry of every man of God upon this earth today. That should be the heart cry of every assembly, assembly of believers upon the earth today. Stretch forth thine handy heel, that mighty signs and wonders are wrought by the name of the holy child Jesus. Why? Because by signs and wonders the masses are going to come in. There's going to be those out there that cannot be reached in any other way or fashion. There are those that are bound up by religious traditions and the doctrines of men that are never going to escape those chains of bondage apart from the miracle working power of the living God. And in the society in which we live today, beloved, God has got to do some shaking. And that shaking has got to be a mighty move and wave of the Spirit of the living God upon the earth today as it was back then. I mean, thank God for the intelligence of men, but the intelligence of men is not enough to, to reach the masses and the multitudes that are out there. It takes a work of the Spirit of the living God to evangelize the world. It did then, it will today. And beloved, I believe we're in the midst of a mighty wave and move of the Spirit of God. I believe that God is doing a shaking by His Spirit right now upon this planet called earth. I believe the return of Jesus is imminent. I mean, it's closer than it's ever been. And we thank God for that day that approaches us. But we know there's going to be a great revival before that day does appear Amen. upon the horizon of life. Once again, we see here that His disciples and apostles knew the need to have the power gifts in operation. Stretch forth thine handy heel. May signs and wonders be wrought by the name of the Holy Child Jesus. Because through those signs and wonders, those that were bound up by Judaism were set free and delivered from that bondage 
And they came to Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? Now, point two. The healing ministry has always been opposed, or should I say strongly opposed, by the unbelieving clergy. I know you want to hear, you you don't think you heard me correctly, right? The healing ministry has always been strongly opposed by the unbelieving clergy. I want you to look at chapter 5 in the book of Acts. And I want you to notice a few verses. Let's look at verse 12 first. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Do you ever notice whenever there's a mighty work of God, mighty move of God, mighty manifestations of God's healing and delivering power, there's always unity? Do you ever notice that? That's what it says there in verse 12. That's what it says there in Acts 4, 29 and 30. As you can read on there, you can find that whole thing to be true. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were all with, in one accord, right? Okay, now listen. Verse 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. And they were healed, every one. Mighty move of God, right? Mighty demonstrations of power, right? People being set free. The gospel in action, correct? Look at the next verse. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, You can write in your Bible, the unbelieving clergy. Just write it right there. Highlight it. Whatever. Which is the sect of the sad, you see. Someone said that's why they were sad, you see. And were filled with joy and laughter. They were ecstatic because of these who got healed. No, they were filled with indignation. Envy. They were indignant and laid their hands on the apostle. How many of you know that wasn't to get them filled with the Holy Ghost? How many of you know that wasn't to get them healed, delivered, and set free by the power of God? They laid their hands. I want you to notice this. There is a laying on of hands by believers, and there's a laying on of hands by the unbelieving clergy. You don't want to get hands laid on you by the unbelieving clergy, I guarantee it. This is what happened. And put them in a common prison. Boy, there's a spiritual uh, thought here, isn't there? You let the unbelieving clergy get their hands on you and they'll put you into a spiritual prison. Do you know that? They'll teach you not to believe in signs and wonders and miracles. They'll teach you not to believe in the supernatural. They get their hands on you, I guarantee you, they'll put you in a spiritual prison. That's, that's a fact. Next verse. I love it. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Beloved, the healing ministry has always and will always be challenged by unbelieving clergy. They will rise up in indignation and wrath. They'll try to get those that are preaching and teaching the gospel in its full expression 
and they'll always try to put those people down or put them in prison or get them to shut up. They'll try to get those that are preaching the full gospel to stop preaching and teaching what they're doing because they just can't take it. I had that happen to me on different occasions. Trust me. I had someone come right into my office, another person in the clergy, tell me, stop preaching and teaching the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I wasn't even in his office. He was in my office. He said, don't teach about the baptism in the Holy Ghost anymore. I said, really? I don't walk into your church and tell you what to preach. Kind of amazed me for a while there. But you know, if you believe in the supernatural, there'll be a supernatural deliverance for you. And here it says, the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in, all the t- in the temple to the people all. Everybody say all. All the words of this life. Not just some of them. All the words of this life. Tell them Jesus saves. Tell them Jesus fills with the Holy Ghost and fire. Tell them Jesus heals, delivers and sets free. Amen. Tell them all the words of this life. Right? See, that's what the angels were told by the Father to tell them. You go and tell them. Preach all the gospel. So they refused to give heed to the threats of the unbelieving clergy. And they went and they preached. Look at verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. Thank God. Amen. Aren't you thankful to God that they did? I'm sure they were also. Well, beloved, one of the oldest arguments against the healing ministry has been the statement that it's more important for us to preach and teach salvation than it is for us to preach and teach on the subject of healing. And in the minds of these... They see it that salvation and healing are different. They're different from one another. But the truth of the matter is, beloved, the two complement each other. And they go hand in hand. To neglect one is to cause the other to suffer. You don't preach that Jesus heals. I guarantee you, you're not going to get the multitudes to come to Him. That reminds me of how Brother T.L. Osborne used to start his meetings over there in, in foreign lands, across the seas. He would say, Jesus is alive and well, and if He is, He's here. And if He's here, He wants to heal you and deliver your, you and set you free, no matter what your affliction is. He'd proclaim that and says, and if He doesn't, I don't really want you to believe on Him. And so before we do anything, He's here right now to heal you, rise up and be whole. And many, many would just rise up. Blind eyes be opened, deaf ears be opened, the lame would walk, and, and, and miracles would take place one after the other. And then can you imagine him preaching a salvation message after that? He doesn't just save your body. He saves your soul also. And boy, what a platform he had to preach from when all that took place. And can you imagine how it was noised abroad and, and spread throughout all the land and even more came in? Brother and sister, that is the norm. And that's the way that God wants it to be. Jesus Christ himself didn't view his healing ministry as being a hindrance to his saving souls, did he? Because, you see, he knew they worked together and went hand in hand. And as far as he was concerned, it didn't hinder hinder his ability to reach the lost. As a matter of fact, it gave him more of an opportunity to reach the lost. Now, I want you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, if you would, please. And our third statement is, in fact, is about the healing ministry is that the ministry of healing is one that requires strong and tenacious faith, both on the part of the minister and those being ministered to. 
It requires faith. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 2. And then verses 5 and 6. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Now go on down to verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work. Listen carefully. He could do there, or there do no mighty work. Many mighty works were wrought by his hands. But he could there do no mighty work, save or except that he laid his hands upon a few, and a better translation is with minor ailments, a few sick folk with minor ailments, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around about the villages teaching. I want you to notice, Jesus was anointed to teach, to preach, to teach, and to heal. In Nazareth, his own hometown, he could do no mighty works. Why? Because of their unbelief. See, beloved, we talk about creating an atmosphere of faith. An atmosphere in which it's easy for people to believe God. The same thing is true as far as doubt and unbelief is concerned. You can create an atmosphere of doubt and unbelief in the hearts and minds of people if you give them the wrong instruction. If they start believing wrong and thinking wrong, there can be an atmosphere of doubt and unbelief that will prevent mighty works from being accomplished among the people. Same Jesus, same miracle power, yet the results were not the same. He could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Healing is for all just as salvation is for all. And just as there are those that will get saved, and yet those that won't get saved, there'll be those that will get healed, and those that won't get healed. You see, we understand that there are conditions regarding salvation and also healing. And those conditions have got to be met in order for one to be saved and or healed. If they are not met, then God is limited as to what He can possibly do. It requires faith to be saved. How many of you believe that? For by grace are you saved through doubt and unbelief. No. For by grace are you saved through faith. And to him that believeth, he'll be saved. But it's also true that one must believe to receive whatever else they want from God. As a matter of fact, we read throughout the Bible, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and behold of thy plague. I have not found so great faith in all of Israel, he said to the Roman centurion. Right? And about his faith that he had in God. And so we see that there is an act of faith on the part of those ministering. And there is also an act of faith upon the heart, in the lives of those that are there to receive. And when they come together, there is victory. The power of God is released. And people are set free. Now, I want you to see something here. See, some people think that it's different as far as Jesus is concerned. But I want you to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, if you would, please. 
And I want to read this from the Amplified Bible to show us all that it requires faith both on the part of the minister and those being ministered to. And that's why it's essential that people hear the instruction so that they can cooperate with God. And if people are mistaught or improperly instructed with regard to receiving healing from the Lord, it will hinder their faith and their ability to receive from Him. And I want you to see that. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 17. Now notice, in Nazareth, He could not do mighty works. Why? Because of their unbelief. So what did He continue to do there? Taught. He taught them. He began to teach them certain principles and gave them certain instructions. I want you to see this here in Luke 6, verse 17. And Jesus came down with them, took his hand on a level spot, his stand on a level spot, with a great crowd of his disciples and a vast throng of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to listen to him, who came to listen to him. The people in Nazareth wouldn't listen to him. Who is this? Isn't he the brother of James and Joseph? I mean, don't we know his sisters? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Now, who does he think he is? I can't receive anything from him. What did Jesus say? A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his own family members. They won't listen to what I have to say because they don't view me as being anybody. So they wouldn't listen to him. Oh, they may have heard the words come out of his mouth, but they wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't listen with spiritual ears. Do you see the point? Okay, listen. They came to listen to him. In other words, to receive his teaching and to receive his instructions and to be cured of their diseases. Listen carefully now. Even those who were disturbed and troubled with unclean spirits and they were being healed also. Now listen carefully. And all the multitude were seeking to touch him. Why do you suppose they were seeking to touch him? Could it have been something that he said? Could it have been something that he taught? I believe he taught the same message everywhere he went. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Okay? And so if He is anointed, what would they seek to do? To touch Him. They would seek to touch Him because He was anointed with healing power. He proclaimed that. He said so. And He probably instructed them. There is the flow of healing power that I've been anointed with. And those that come into contact with it will be delivered and set free. It will even saturate the clothing that I wear, he probably said to them. He instructed them on the things of God. He explained to them about the healing power of God and how it works and how it flows. That's why they sought to touch him. And so the whole mass, the multitude sought to touch him. Why? They were seeking to touch him for healing power was all the while going forth from him and cured them all. That is, saving them from severe illnesses or calamities. Notice, they went there to hear him, to receive his instruction, and then to act out their faith. Can you see that? 
And so it requires faith then on the part of the one ministering. See, he had to believe he was anointed with healing power and then he gave instructions to the people. As a result, there was an atmosphere of faith among them that enabled them to receive from that power as it flowed out from him. And they were all healed from severe sicknesses and diseases. Now, with regard to these instructions, I believe there are certain things. I'll just share a couple of things, but there are many things for people to to know. And that's why it's important, again, and I'll just say it again, to get involved in the healing classes that we have throughout the week. We have one a week, every week, until healing week. And then when healing week comes, we have four classes throughout the week taught by Kevin and Cheryl McDaniel, and they'll teach you some principles and give you some instructions, and you'll begin to understand certain things to know that you need to know about receiving healing from the Lord. So throughout the, the whole week, healing week, we have really every single day, Monday, Tuesday, then Wednesday's our service, then Thursday, Friday, we've got instructions, and, and we are promoting the healing of the physical body. And if you'll come and receive that instruction, you'll be among those that listen so that you can also receive from the Lord. See, they went to hear and to receive or to be healed. So get in on these teachings. Now, there's a couple of things I'll share this morning before we actually pray for people. And one thing is this, that people need to know. People need to be instructed before they receive or come to receive. And also, they need to be instructed as to what to do after they receive from the Lord. And before receiving, let me point out this fact. It's important to know that not all healings are instantaneous. Not everybody receives an instant healing in their body when they come to be prayed for. As a matter of fact, they lay their hands on them and they shall recover implies that once hands were laid upon you, God's healing power would flow into you and then you would, it didn't say instantly be healed, it said recover. There is that action of the Spirit's anointing in your body that will continue to be there and work until the healing process is consummated and a person needs to know that. And so, even though one doesn't always instantly receive their healing, it doesn't mean that that the power hasn't been transmitted into your body and activated, and it's at work in you right now, and eventually, you know, it'll be consummated and the person will be totally free. An example of that is found in Luke's Gospel with regard to the lepers. As the lepers were prayed for or told to go, they were healed as they went. It wasn't an instant thing. The nobleman's son, he was, said, he was told, look, everybody's seeking after a sign. He said, go thy way, that, you know, your son is healed. And the fellow went, and as he went, his son began to amend from that hour. It wasn't an instant miracle. It wasn't an instant healing. He began to amend from that hour and gradually got better and better and better until he was perfectly whole. And so we see we have examples in the Word of God that illustrate to us that it's not always an instantaneous something. And so when a person comes to receive from the Lord, they they have to recognize that they are activating the healing power of God that is unleashed in their body and released. And if they'll continue to keep the switch of faith turned on, it will continue to keep that power working in the body until the process is consummated. They need to be taught that according to Mark 11, 23 and 24, you ought to believe that you have received from the Lord and then go like the lepers did, praising God and magnifying God that you have received from Him. And through that worship and praise of God, you'll continue to keep the switch of faith turned on and the power of God will continue to be activated in you until the healing process is consummated. 
See, and that is important for people to know because many times people will come, be prayed for, and if nothing happened instantly, they'll turn around and say, I didn't get anything from God. I always say it like this. You've got to believe you receive it in its spiritual form before you can have it in its natural form. And if you believe you receive it in its spiritual form, it will manifest in the natural realm, the physical realm. And so that's an important part of instructional teaching with regard to receiving healing from the Lord. But there's also another part that is equally as important, and that is what to do after one has actually received the healing process consummated. Let's say you're totally delivered and set free by the power of God from whatever it was that you had in your body. And you're thanking God that you are free. That person has got to be taught that Satan will always try to come at you with a counterattack. Counterattacks are Satan's way to get back into a person's life and to re-enter that person's life and put that sickness or disease back on that person. In Matthew 12, we have it illustrated to us by the Lord Jesus. Verses 43 through 45. You can look them up. Write it down. He said, When the evil spirit is gone out of a man, he'll go into dry places seeking rest and finding none. And then he'll go back into the house from whence it was kicked out of, finding it empty, swept, and garnished, he'll re-enter into that person's life and bring more devils in, and the latter state of the man will be worse than the former. And he's giving us a spiritual guideline, a rule, or principle here. He taught this to his disciples. He taught this to the people, I'm sure, that were listening to him teach. These were some of the instructions he was giving them. And he, I'm sure, was saying to them, look, You've got to be careful and watch out for the counterattack of the enemy. Remember he told the one man that he had healed, he said, go thy way and sin no more lest a worse thing come back on you. Didn't he say that? Now listen, as far as the man is concerned who does not put forth any effort to arm himself against Satan's counterattacks, that person is an open target to reentry. But a person has got to know that there is something that he or she has to do to prevent that thing from coming back on them. There will be that attempt of the enemy. And you need to know and I need to know how to recognize this counterattack and then deal with it when it comes. And here's the most effective way. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, last verse that we'll look at, in verse 3 and then we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Remember when Peter was walking on the water and working a miracle? Then all of a sudden when he saw the wind and the wave and it was boisterous and all that, the Bible says he took his eyes off of Jesus and put his eyes on circumstances. He then began to sink. That's an illustration to us. Demonstrating the fact that one can begin to operate in the spiritual or supernatural realm. And then if he takes his eyes off of the spiritual or the supernatural and gets his eyes on circumstances or the natural, you can begin to, to stop the flow of miracle power. Can you see that? He began to sink. Because he took his eyes off of Jesus and put his eyes on the symptoms or the circumstances that were surrounding him. That's exactly what the enemy will attempt to do. Let's say you got delivered from whatever, and uh, it was, let's say you had symptoms of pain in your body, and no more pain, and maybe you even had an x-ray, and it showed... You're perfectly made whole. And maybe six months down the road, all of a sudden, you feel a pain in that same part of your body. 
I want you to recognize that as Satan's counterattack, trying to get you to open the door back up to that same thing that was in your body or even something worse. See, we're to recognize that. He's been in dry places, seeking rest and finding none, and saying, I'm going to go back to the house that I was kicked out from, and I'm going to try to get back in. And here comes this symptom in your body, a pain that's in your body. And what are we to do? We're to rise up and recognize with our spiritual eyes, that is not from God. I was healed, delivered, and set free by the power of God. And don't let your mind entertain the thoughts of the enemy and the lying vanities and the symptoms that are coming back into the body. Look at chapter... 10, verse 3, 2 Corinthians. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations or images and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. I want you to know that the mind is the battleground. And the enemy will use thoughts and imaginations to re-enter another per- that person's life and make things even worse in that person's life. He'll try to get us to think that we didn't receive from God. And if we think we didn't receive from God, he'll produce the image of us becoming sick again, sickly in our bodies once again. And if we allow that image to be there, before long it will become a satanic stronghold. And before long we will have opened up our lives to the re-entry of the enemy and he'll take us over once again and put that thing back upon us. We've got to recognize in the early stages that this is an attempt, attempt of the enemy through a counterattack to overcome my life once again. And we rise up in the mighty name of Jesus. And we say, I'm not even going to touch this in thought life. Hallelujah. I know that Jesus touched me. I know my body was healed. I know I was delivered and set free. I know the power of God is at work in me. I know the Spirit of Jesus that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and is quickening my mortal body. I'm delivered. I'm set free. I'm whole. And I say no to the counterattack of the enemy. I refuse to give place to the enemy. No territory in my life will I give him. I'm telling you right then, you know what you do? You put the devil to flight. Hallelujah. He says, the door is shut. Notice, he says, if I find an empty, swimped, and garnished. What's he talking about? The person hasn't done anything to prepare himself or arm himself against the uh, counterattack of the enemy. He hasn't gotten himself filled with the Holy Ghost and power. He hasn't fed on the Word of God regarding healing and deliverance. He's just allowed himself to stay open and did nothing to produce change on the inside. And says... I can go back there because that person's not prepared for my counterattack. But if that person says, I'm delivered and set free by the power of God now, I'm going to pick me up maybe F.F. Bosworth's book on, on Christ the healer. I'm going to eat this. Oh, I'm eat every page of it. Praise God. I'm going to feed on it but day and night. I'm going to fill my spirit man on the inside with faith. I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost until I, I am overflowing with the power of the living God. And when the enemy tries, and I know he's going to try because the Bible tells me he's going to try to come back and put that thing back on me, I'm going to get out my canon of the Word of God, I am going to blow him the smithereens, hallelujah, with the name that's above every other name. I'm going to proclaim the name of Jesus, that I am free, I am whole, and I refuse to give any place to him any longer. What's he going to do with that? Pack his bags and say it's time to visit somebody else. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's traveling. You heard of traveling evangelists? He's a traveling maniac. 
seeking whom he may devour. May he devour you? No, you may not devour me. I refuse to give place. You refuse to give place to the enemy. You shut the door. See, these are some of the instructions that people need to have. Amen. Amen. Now, what I want us to do is just to take a moment right now as I say this. God has been moving in a glorious way in our midst. And if you've been in our services recently, you know that. You know that God is moving in a powerful way. The anointing of God has been rich. The glory of God has filled the temple. It's, I believe, because hearts are being knit together in love. I believe that everybody is taking his place or her place within the body and saying, I want to see God move. I want to see God at work. I'm not concerned about fault finding. I'm not concerned about judging my brother or my sister. I'm not concerned about anybody but myself. I'm concerned about being pure and holy before God. I'm concerned about taking my place and doing my own part. Whatever it is that God would have me to do. I'm concerned about filling that position and then causing the body to be fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth so that there is an increase among us in this body. Hallelujah. An increase of the things of God. An increase of love. An increase of joy. An increase of peace. An increase of the healing anointing, praise God. The corporate anointing among us. I'm concerned about an increase of the glory of the living God and the presence of God. When I join myself with the saints, I want to see Jesus Christ manifest before us. I want to see the glory of the Lord appear in the tabernacle that we can't stand and minister for by reason of the cloud. I want to see God's mighty deeds at work, signs and wonders. I want to see my brothers and sisters delivered and set free by the mighty power in God. I don't like what the enemy does. Do you like what the enemy does to people? I don't like it. You don't like it. We want the greater things of God and manifestation to put to naught the works of the devil in the lives of human beings. This is good news that we are to preach to the people. There was a place of refuge, a place of deliverance, a place of health, a place of healing. There was a place where you can attend, where you can go, and you can learn of the things of God that will absolutely set you free as it revolutionizes your life. God wants it to be that way among us, beloved. And I believe that the stronger we get in it, that the greater works of God are going to be manifest. We're going to see people set free, and we're going to see people come in and whose lives otherwise would not be touched apart from the miracle-working power of God. Oh, these are the days of the latter rain. And that means the greatest outpouring of God's Spirit that this world has ever seen. And we're living in those times right now, beloved. And the works that they did back then, God's going to do today. Hallelujah. Among us. I believe that. Praises and musicians, if you would, please come at this time. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.